Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Hey, this is Will Bowling, and I'm here to tell you about my friends at Brentwood Hearing Center, the hearing care provider in Middle Tennessee. At this time of the year, we all make promises to ourselves and others in the form of New Year's resolutions. And if you're struggling to hear in noisy environments, maybe you turn the radio volume up to louder levels, or if you are constantly asking others to repeat themselves. Perhaps a resolution you should make and you should keep is to finally address your challenges hearing. With five doctors of audiology, Brentwood Hearing Center offers comprehensive hearing care, and they've been doing it for people of all ages for over 38 years. Hearing loss knows no age, and you can give them a call today at 615-377-0420. They've got a convenient location just off of I-65 at Old Hickory Boulevard in Brentwood. Pay them a visit online as well at brentwoodhearingcenter.com. They are the hearing care provider in Middle Tennessee, and they've got an individual solution just for you. 615-377-0420. Brentwood Hearing Center. Better hearing, better life. Will Bowling, Lucas Panzica, and the best insiders covering the Vols on Rocky Top each and every week. It's the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast on the Zone Podcast Network. On a brand new edition of the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast, SEC Tournament Week is here at last. A number of Tennessee volunteers impress at the NFL Combine. And oh, the Blake Burke home run tracker in Tennessee baseball is alive and well. 11 straight for Tony Vitello's Vols, who are full strength at last. And there is lots to discuss uh, on dirt, on hardwood, on turf, at the Underwear Olympics. Uh, You were in Indianapolis, and uh, Lucas, you got to talk with... uh, like every vol that was there. So uh, uh, exclusive content here on the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast today. Yeah, long week in Indy. I I will say I think every Tennessee player acquitted themselves pretty well with the media and for the most part pretty well when it came to the actual workouts. Can't exactly speak to team interviews and going over tape and all those things that happened throughout the course of the week in Indy. But I really enjoyed hearing from Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, and Cedric Tillman, especially three guys that, you know, there are certain aspects of Tennessee's offense that that you've seen throughout this process are kind of trying to be used against them in a way. And those guys seemed prepared to answer those types of questions. So I think it was a good week in Indy overall for all the Tennessee players that were there. Certainly was. Uh, Jalen Hyatt testing well, Cedric Tillman running well, uh, Byron Young and Darnell Wright, perhaps the two who helped themselves the most. We'll get to that uh, as the podcast continues today. Um, but five straight road losses, Lucas, for uh, Tennessee basketball, 79-70 to Auburn on Saturday. Um, I'm not of the opinion that this season is over without Zakai Ziegler, uh, obviously out with a torn ACL at this point, but I needed to see better late game defense from Tennessee against Wendell Green and Auburn. Seemed like the perfect storm on Saturday. Difficult environment, and then a difficult matchup that Zakai Ziegler would have uniquely been able to to slow down, and that's Wendell Green, the Auburn point guard. Yeah, well, we have proof of that. Uh, Zakai Ziegler did exactly that when Auburn was in <laughs> Knoxville. I mean, he essentially shut down Wendell Green in that game. I'm pulling up the numbers, and that was just a, a horrific game of basketball. 46-43 was the final in that one. Wendell Green... 
uh, finished with 9.7 rebounds. I think he hit two field goals, most of his numbers from the free throw line. Uh, and then he just was all over Tennessee defensively this past Saturday. I think I'm with you. I think that's where Tennessee will miss the Kai Ziegler the most. They were able to manufacture offense on Saturday. Obviously not late, and anytime you go the last five, six minutes without a field goal, you're probably not going to win the basketball game. That is a problem. The same issues that have plagued Tennessee's offense all year kind of continue to be a theme. But overall, the numbers were okay offensively. It's what they did on defense and just how much they miss that lockdown guard. When you get into March and you start to play teams uh, that have a higher level of point guard play, who, you know, who gets assigned those guys? I mean, Zakai Ziegler is on the SEC all-defensive team. And he's not going to be with you for the rest of the season. So that might be more of a question to answer for Tennessee than who's going to score. Because it's not like Zakai Ziegler is averaging 20 points a game. I mean, he helped Tennessee create offensively. I mean, he was just another option to score the ball as a guard. But I, I agree I agree with you. I think this team is going to miss him defensively much more than offensively. And we saw that on Saturday. My take on, on Zakai Ziegler's absence might be a little bit of a warm one. And, and you're welcome to correct me or scold me if if I need to be scolded. I think this team might be a little more consistent. I don't know if they're as great as they could be without Zakai Ziegler. I also don't know if they're as bad as they can be without Zakai Ziegler. Because at times, when you get good Zakai Ziegler, Tennessee can beat anybody in the country and has. When they've had bad Zakai Ziegler, they can lose to anyone in the country, and they have. Um, you know, against Vanderbilt and Nashville, he wasn't good. Uh, you know, he, he had a rough game. He turned the ball over a lot in that one. I mean, it, Thinking of just a couple specific performances, maybe Tennessee is a little less erratic without this version of Zakai Ziegler on the floor. Tennessee is a better team when he's there. I just wonder if they're a little bit more in the middle of the two extremes, having Santiago Vescovi, Tyreek Key, and, and Jemai Meshack in this point guard by committee unit they have. Yeah, well, so there's no question on defense it's a huge blow. Right. Uh on offense, you're right. In some of Tennessee's worst performances this year on the offensive end, a lot of that, not not strictly, you can't put everything on Zakai Ziegler, but a lot of that has come from turnover problems from Zakai Ziegler, just being irresponsible with the basketball. But when Tennessee would get into a funk offensively, he is a guy that can can wiggle through space and create something, whether that's setting some something up or just finding his way to the basket, just any modicum of creativity on the offensive end that I feel like Tennessee struggles to manufacture when they hit those lulls like they did in the last five, six minutes of the Auburn game. You got to think of Sakai Ziegler's on the floor at Auburn last Saturday. Uh, he's driving to the basket. He's trying to win a foul. He's trying to drive and kick. He, he's trying something uh, as opposed to Tennessee just – hitting a wall and becoming stagnant on offense, right. which is what happened on Saturday. So, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, maybe they will be more consistent, but I think if Tennessee wants to reach its goals in March, and at this point, that's just to get to the second weekend, right? I mean, something that they've only been able to do once under Rick Barnes. Like, that is just a baseline goal. Like, you, you can't tell me the goal for this team is Elite Eight or, or Final Four. Like, the goal is to get to the second weekend at this point and see what happens past that. It feels like you're going to need a Josh Richardson-like performance <laughs> from somebody, right? Remember that 13-14 oh, yeah. run to the 316, like Tennessee, you know, and they won three games to get there because they were in the first four. And Josh right. Richardson was a true freshman at the time. That was a that was a good team, a deep team, but something just clicked when March came around. And Richardson led that team in scoring, I believe, every game in the NCAA tournament out of nowhere. Tennessee needs something like that from a guy, whether that's Tyreek Key or Jemai Meshack, who has just gotten seemingly gotten better with every game on the offensive end. Uh, that that's what's going to have to happen if Tennessee wants.
wants to make any sort of run in March. Otherwise, I think you see a lot of a repeat of what you saw at Auburn. Uh, some sort of lull on offense, hopefully not in the last five minutes of the game, the worst possible time to have that, yeah. uh, but just lapses defensively when you just can't guard the best point guards and shooting guards in the NCAA tournament. Tennessee couldn't do it against Auburn. I worry about their ability to do that in the NCAA tournament and then in turn their ability to outscore those opponents and finding somebody else to provide that spark. Well, and the sad thing was that you really did have good enough offense to win this one again outside of that last five minutes like you mentioned and it was six minutes and 13 seconds to be exact. Yeah. But Tennessee did not score in the final segment of this game. Um, I don't know why they didn't go to Julian Phillips more. That was the Julian Phillips that we've seen flash at times and the way he played at LSU and you know the couple games that he's had where he's been dominant. Tennessee's at its best when he's driving and kicking and he's driving and finishing. And um, God bless, he was 6 of 6 from the free throw line, which brings up Tennessee's atrocious average at the foul line. Um, had six rebounds too. He's just a long playmaker that this team doesn't often get and doesn't often recruit. And the sad thing is, I mean, Grant Ramey was on our show this morning uh, from VolQuest. He's still probably one and done. I mean, it's crazy, but like NBA teams draft guys like him all the time based on potential. Um, still in the first round, and he might still be a late first round draft pick because he's going to test just unbelievably well at the NBA Combine and through that entire process. I think he should be more more like a Josiah Jordan James who comes back and plays for maybe just two years, maybe not even the whole four. But that guy, it, when he is on, it just like it catches your attention. It's like what? In, where in the world has this been? When the guy is on, he was on against Auburn. He didn't get the ball enough in the in the last couple of minutes. Yeah, it's a frustrating thing when that happens because like you think about two years ago where Tennessee has two five-star, you know, first-round type talents with Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. Those guys get drafted in the first round, and and that season ended in a, in a you know, first-round exit in the NCAA tournament, one and done, a loss against Oregon State where they just had nothing on offense. And you sit there and you think, man, that's two first-round talents on the team that they just couldn't get anything going consistently. Uh, but Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer still had their moments. Keon Johnson scored 27 points in Rupp Arena to beat Kentucky. Jaden Springer had his big games. Uh, you haven't really seen that with Julian Phillips. Like it's it's happened in spurts here and there. He has some nice moments. He has some double digit performances, but not once has he taken over a game for Tennessee. And, and maybe that's another thing that would need to happen for right. for the Vols to get on a roll in March. So it's a frustrating thing, man. But uh, it's really a curious conversation to talk about what this team's ceiling is because I, there's. Not much of anything that would surprise you, right. even with a healthy Zakai Ziegler. If you were to tell Tennessee fans, oh, first round exit, yeah, n- not a shock. You uh, you lose to 14 seed UNC Asheville, Drew Full Pember game. puts up 35 <laughs> on you or whatever. Uh, that wouldn't surprise anybody. Or if you told any Tennessee fan a couple weeks ago, yeah, they'll, they'll be an Elite Eight run. They'll be you know moments away from a Final Four berth. Like, yeah, they, they're good enough to do that. I don't know how that conversation changes with Zakai Ziegler out of the picture, but it's still in that same thread of, Nothing would surprise you with how this shakes out. So it's hard to kind of talk about this team because you know what the deficiencies are. You know what they need to happen in order for a run. And and a lot of that probably is consistent performances, especially on the offensive end from Julian Phillips, better free throw shooting. Uh, I, I don't know how much that's going to improve because uh, teams are really honing in on Uros Plavsic and Tobey Awaka. You know, like a guy like Awaka, as much as he's grown this year and turned into such a consistent rebounder for this team, um, when you foul him, he's probably going to miss one or both free throws. Right. And the same goes for Uros Plofsic. And teams have obviously realized that. And I think that plays a big role in Tennessee's free throw percentage. So I don't know how much better 
that gets going into postseason play. Um, maybe it'll be different because you don't get as much of a chance to game plan for opponents in the NCAA tournament. But in the SEC tournament, you're talking about teams that know this Tennessee team like the back of their hand. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens this week as Tennessee continues to adjust to life without Zakai Ziegler and do it against teams that are intimately familiar with how they want to go about things. Yeah, and I think the only solace I take in that is that there have been more losses by top two teams in college basketball this year than than ever before. And the fact that nobody has really separated themselves and that Alabama hasn't been good down the stretch even. like I, I don't know if there's anybody really feeling confident right now going into the NCAA tournament Maybe Kansas uh, peaking at the right time. You know, maybe Texas, who feels like they've played really well down the stretch. Like uh, all of the Big 12, honestly, um, that that fared pretty well in non-conference, especially against the SEC. But I I just don't know if there's anybody in college basketball that is immune to a a catastrophic upset. I think we so often make the the cliche statement of like, oh, this March is going to be the craziest ever. Uh, it's, It's closer to actually applying this year. Let's see, something different for dinner. Searching restaurants near me. Right here, ma'am. How can we help? Gee, same old, same old. Wait, we're, we're right here, ma'am. Our restaurant's just a few blocks from you. Why is she not seeing us? Back to the usual, I guess. Ma'am, can you not see us? Nope, they can't see you. Because you're buried deep in the list of local restaurants. You are invisible online. Introducing Cumulus Boost. Get a boost, get found, get on the map. Learn more at CumulusBoost.com. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kamal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. Yeah, and it's even the number one team in the country, Houston. Yeah. I mean, they're so good, and Almost you know they're Memphis. good, and, and they do nothing but win, but but they've been playing in the American all year, and the American's just not good this season. So uh, you have no idea. Purdue can say they have the best player in the country in Zach Eady. You know, Alabama has the SEC player of the year in Brandon Miller, arguably the most talented player in college basketball. But at the same time, all of these teams have deficiencies that could turn around and bite them in the butt. It's a wide-open year in college basketball, which is awesome. And it's a wide open year in the SEC. I think this tournament is going to be one of the most enjoyable, uh, one of the most March Madness type SEC tournaments we've had in a while, man. I mean, you look uh, just from one through six, what Missouri has done this year. I, people, a lot of people upset that Dennis Gates did not get a shout for SEC coach of the year. Um, but at the same time, like I agree, Dennis Gates was worthy of SEC coach of the year. But what Jerry Stackhouse did in the back half of this Vanderbilt schedule is insane. What they did with that turnaround and then to lose Liam Robbins and then come back and beat Kentucky in Rupp Arena, finish strong with the win against Miss State, and just miss out on a double bye in the SEC tournament uh, is amazing. And and what AM has done and their consistency in league play under Buzz Williams, there's a lot of really good teams at the top of this league. Uh, and then, you know, in, in such an interesting year for the SEC, Kentucky just comes out of nowhere and wins the SEC tournament after the start that they had. Like, all of this is on the table. Alabama, the favorites, just running the table and doing what most people believe that they're 
they're good enough to do. Texas A&M keeping up that consistency. Or Tennessee figuring something out with Sakai Ziegler uh, or Kentucky getting hot. Like, there's so many different scenarios in this tournament. So I can't wait for it to get started. And maybe it's not such a terrible thing for Tennessee to to have a game to continue to adjust without Zakai Ziegler in the picture before they get thrown into the fire in that quarterfinal. Yeah. And the way it shakes out as the five seed to play either Ole Miss or South Carolina, I think puts Tennessee probably in an advantageous position. I mean, and Ole Miss is, is not a gimme, you know, it, it's, you, you had a to, little frisky. Yeah. You had to win kind of a rock fight. Uh, you had to really pull one out to open SEC play in Oxford to start uh, the conference season. They fired Kermit Davis. They've got an interim coach. So you never know what that's going to do for the vibe of a locker room. It probably benefit Tennessee to get South Carolina again, a team that they've beat by a combined like 84 points or whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's definitely a good thing to figure out life without Zakai Ziegler. And uh, the fact that Tennessee now also is six and two against teams on their side of the bracket in eight games, and five and five and ten games against teams on the other side of the bracket, um, you know, and everything's on the table. You, there was that stat for a while where one of the teams that played on Wednesday night was making the quarterfinals. Um, like it, it's happened most times since they've gone to this format. Like somebody between twelve and fourteen makes a run, or eleven and fourteen makes a run consistently. Yeah. Um, uh, Ole Miss, I mean, it, again, like any of those teams could beat Alabama. I wouldn't be terribly shocked. Ole Miss could beat Tennessee. I wouldn't be terribly shocked. Like it, it they could beat Missouri. Like, yeah, checks out. Like it, it everything's on the table. I think it's going to be fun. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think Tennessee ends up losing to Alabama probably in a rematch in the semi, if I had to guess. Um, I, I don't see a way Missouri. Is uh <laughs> is allowed to beat Tennessee again after the way that one went last time? Yeah, it, it'll be interesting either way that it shakes out. It, you, it, it'll be tough uh, to beat Alabama twice yeah. in a season like this. Right. But uh, but you know, t- Tennessee Tennessee got that SEC tournament monkey off its back. Yes, last year, and with the circumstances coming into this tournament, and I think that was kind of the expectation last year. It, that that was a big opportunity with how hot Tennessee was closing out the regular season to just get that burden off you of not winning an SEC tournament since the late 70s. So now that that's kind of in the rear view, obviously you would like to do what you can in the SEC tournament, but at this point it's about gearing up for March and and finding out who which role players can now turn into consistent performers in the yeah. most important part of the year. Nobody happier than Burt Bertelkamp, who no longer has to have his picture shown on ESPN right. broadcasts since yeah. the last time Tennessee won the SEC tournament. Um, so you were in Indianapolis, like we mentioned, for the NFL Combine. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here between two Tennessee players and have you pick which one helped themselves more because I think it's a it's a good conversation between Byron Young and Darnell Wright as who uh, the two guys, and, and you can have a write-in of Jalen Hyatt if you want to, but I'm of the opinion that those two helped themselves more than anyone else in Orange at the NFL Combine. Uh, and I'm curious to see who you think helped themselves more. So now I'll preface it by saying I didn't get a chance to to talk to to Darnell Wright. Uh, okay. We left Friday after the show, offensive linemen, running backs, and we were and it was a, a disappointing that we d- didn't get to uh, talk to. It. We were disappointed to see that schedule that two of the deepest positions in the right. draft were going to do everything uh, on Saturday and and after we left. But I'm going to say Byron Young because really? Darnell Wright had a fantastic combine, a fantastic combine, but. The conversation around Darnell Wright coming into Indy was already hovering around first round status. 
What he did at the Senior Bowl really elevated his draft stock, going up against some of the best pass rushers in this draft. In fact, several of these pass rushers, whether it's Luke Van Ness or Will McDonald out of Iowa State, uh, it's such a common question that gets tossed at these players, whether you're a pass rusher or a receiver. Who's the best corner you went up against this year? Who's the best receiver you covered this year? Who's the best tackle you went up against this year? Darnell Wright was a pretty common answer uh, during player media availability. So uh, that's why I'm saying Byron Young, because Byron Young – that was not the narrative around him coming out of the Senior Bowl. He went relatively unnoticed at the Senior Bowl. It's a very deep, uh, very deep pass rushing class, and a lot of guys at the top grabbed headlines, and Byron Young was not one of them. But coming out of the first day of workouts at the Combine, uh, there were two players that grabbed those headlines for what they did in the 40, in the broad, in the vert. Uh, it was Nolan Smith out of Georgia, who just lit it up, yeah. and Byron Young out of Tennessee. So I'm going to say Byron Young because, yes, Darnell Wright continued to raise his draft stock, but I think personally that Darnell Wright came into the combine as a fringe you know, first-round guy and left as a probable first-round guy, which is not as big of a jump as uh, – or I'm sorry, Darnell Wright. Uh, did I say Byron Young about that? Darnell no. Wright as a fringe first-round guy exiting. Right. A, that's not as big of a jump as Byron Young coming in as, you know, question about if he's drafted it's it's definitely going to be on day three and I don't know that he moved himself up to the second or third round there's still pro day and there's a process uh, ahead of us here but I, I do think he changed the conversation around him quite a bit so I'm going to say Darnell Wright because uh the 40 time for him of 501 solidifies his position in the NFL um, a lot of the conversation we heard at the senior bowl was hey Darnell Wright might be talking to teams about moving inside to guard and a little bit of a tweener there as far as what he's able to do. And I still don't know if he's a first-round pick simply because is right tackle enough of a premium position to spend on a you know first-rounder? Probably not. But if you feel like you've got a plug-and-play for the next 10 years right tackle, then then maybe. And, and that's what Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network said about Darnell Wright at the Combine. Uh, the problem I still have with Byron Young is I, I feel like I we, we knew he would test really well He's still a tweener between playing edge rusher and being a defensive lineman. There aren't a lot of positions that are going to be stylistically perfect for him, like Tim Banks's was at Tennessee, where he could kind of literally be between a a four-down lineman defensive end and an edge rusher, where he did a little bit of both and played in coverage and showcased his speed, obviously, at the Combine. So I feel like I'm going to give the nod to Darnell Wright because he solidified the fact that, look, and Ramon has said it on our show, too, that... At 333 pounds, if he had run in the five threes or five fours, he was going to be a guard. No question. And for his career and for his stock, you're more likely to be drafted, I feel like, at the right tackle position a little bit more highly than you are as a right guard or as an interior offensive lineman. 501, you can play tackle. I mean, he was one of the fastest offensive linemen in the entire draft. Uh, third fastest 40 time by an offensive lineman weighing at least 330 pounds since 2003. I mean, it, uh, unbelievable. Third best broad jump um, uh, in his position group at uh, nine feet, six inches. I mean, just absurd numbers, uh, really, from both of them. And Jalen Hyatt, I mean, people are going to say, oh, he hurt himself by only running 4-4. Uh, what a wild statement that is to make to me, <laughs> that he hurt his stock by only running 4-4. And I know he dealt with a little bit of hamstring tightness. Curious to see what he'll run at Tennessee's pro day. The vertical and the broad jump being the best among wide receivers and right up there at the top of anybody um, bodes well for him too. But I'll give the slight nod to Darnell. 
Searching HVAC near here. Right here, ma'am. How can we help? Wow. Nobody local? Huh. Wait, what? We are an HVAC company literally in your neighborhood. Why is she not seeing us? Just all the big chains. Well, it is what it is. What in the... Can you not see See us? us? Nope, they can't see you. Because you're buried deep in the list of local HVAC providers. You are invisible online. Introducing Cumulus Boost. Get a boost, get found, get on the map. Learn more at CumulusBoost.com. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? (laughs) (laughs) In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What women binge wherever you listen. Yeah. um, Darnell Wright, if if he's not a first rounder, I I would put money on him being the first right tackle taken in the draft. I would agree. uh, Regardless of where that is. So I think he's solidified himself in that spot. And then I I agree with you. Byron Young is maybe tougher to find a fit um, because he's a guy that uh, whether you call him a tweener, but whether it's, you know, lining up in a four point stance, you know, doing things like that, that you're just not going to do in the NFL. It's going to be probably more of an adjustment for Byron Young, although he tested about as well as he possibly could have. Yeah, Hyatt, you know, uh, that that's just because of uh, what the expectation that was placed on him. And he did a little bit to feed into that. Every time he got asked about, hey, Jalen, what, what's your goal for the 40 time? Yeah, what are you going right. to run in the 40? He kind of would like smirk and a wink. He's like, oh, you'll see. You'll see. You know, acting like, oh, my God, we're about to see the first like 41940 exactly. in the NFL combine history. And then he runs a 4-4. So it's easy to be disappointed by that. But like, Justin Jefferson ran like a four. Was it? I, I looked it up. A four four three. Yeah. At the NFL Combine, similar so, receiver. I mean, yeah. College. We're, we're, we're you were kind of getting into semantics uh, a little bit, but uh, Jalen Hyatt was really good with the media. Um, he was really good about uh, discussing what he wanted to show teams uh, that maybe he didn't necessarily get a chance to show in Tennessee's offense. Uh, and and he was very I asked him that. So what are you most excited to prove? Not not necessarily the combine or in workouts, but in the league that that people are kind of using against you. And he said, "Oh, my route running." Unquestionably. Uh because uh, he just didn't really get a chance. He Jalen Hyatt is not breaking free because uh, of his release at the line of scrimmage, right? He's not breaking free uh, because of his break at the top of a post route. It was a lot of the nature of Tennessee's offense, and he showcased his speed, he showcased his hands, and all of those things, but he does have to show he can be a combat catcher. He does have to show that he can block in this league. You know, a lot, whether you want to mock him to the Titans or not, you know, somebody asked him about, about being a blocker. He said, well, he showed up to college freshman and sophomore year thinking, well, I don't want to block. I'm here to catch passes, not block. Right. And then it kind of something that he, he realized he had to make a part of his game as a junior but when he said that i immediately thought not a titan so uh, there are a lot of uh, pieces of his game that there are still going to be questions about but i don't think jalen hyatt hurt his draft stock whatsoever i still think cedric tillman is a better pro prospect uh, than jalen hyatt i don't know if he's going to get drafted higher than jalen hyatt but he has that physicality he didn't get that sub four five time he just barely missed it that I think really would have put him over the top in that conversation. But Cedric Tillman, another guy that was really good uh, with the media. And then Hendon Hooker, man. Hendon Hooker was fired up uh, when he was when he was speaking with media, understanding that that was sort of his opportunity at the Combine. He wasn't there to throw. Uh, he said he was cleared this week. We're recording this Monday after the Combine. So this week he'll be cleared to throw stationary. His, his recovery is ahead of time. But he couldn't do any of the workouts. So all he could do was media stuff. 
interviews, meetings with coaching staff, scouts, GMs, all of those things. And you could tell he took that to heart. So Hendon Hooker uh, was prepared for every answer thrown at him when asked about, you know, the concerns about not seeing guys open, uh, about, you know, first-time reads in the right. Tennessee offense. And his answer was essentially, it's not my fault. Nobody could cover my receivers. <laughs> and he quote. had some, he yeah, he had some, he had some good, uh, he, he had some prepared remarks for questions like that that makes you think he'll be prepared for uh, for those meetings with GMs and, and the like. So the only other interesting thing uh, from the combine from former Vols uh, was Jeremy Banks, who, who I think has a you know a home somewhere in this league as a special yeah. teamer at some point, whether that's in the seventh round, undrafted free agent, whatever it might be, uh, who, who mentioned that he approached Jeremy Pruitt as a freshman in the middle of the 2018 Georgia game, uh, and that that's how – he came about going from running back to linebacker that he told Pruitt in the middle of a game where they got blown out, by the way, 38 to 12. Coach, I want to play linebacker. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But but yeah, so overall, I, I think Tennessee players help themselves more than not at the combine. Love it. Uh, good uh, combine minute from uh, from you, Lucas, for sure. Um, all right. Well, our uh, uh, closing segment, as we've uh, we've told the people for the summer, is the Blake Burke home run tracker. And since we've last spoken, Blake Burke has now hit seven home runs for the Tennessee baseball volunteers. He hit 14 all of last year uh, as a kind of backup, which tied the freshman record at Tennessee, by the way, and he wasn't even a starter uh, last season. He is one of the best players in college baseball. He is going to make a lot of money smashing baseballs in a major league uniform in the next five years. And uh, enjoy him while he's here, because legitimately he is a generational talent that Tennessee has as a power hitter, and he does so in a tiny little ballpark called Lindsey Nelson Stadium. But all that being said, uh, he's already been thrown at once, and a Gonzaga pitcher was ejected over the weekend because he got mad at Blake Burke and threw at him. So if you had March 5th as the first time Blake Burke was beamed intentionally, please collect your winnings at the pay window. It happened a lot. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, anything we missed on the way out today? I don't think so. This is going to be a fascinating SEC tournament yeah. in Bridgestone Arena, and uh, I, I can't wait to be out there. Looking forward to that. Uh, hit the subscribe button for uh, the Ultimate Tennessee Podcast every other week through the offseason on 104.5 The Zone, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And uh, we'll talk to you in two Mondays on The Zone Podcast Network. TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. Scott Grimes is here Thank with you. us. Voiceover, that is like my dream job. I think I just have too distinctive a voice and I can't manipulate it. so why I'm right. not a good singer. This is how great Seth MacFarlane is. I went in to do it and I was talking like this and he goes, good, now just get rid of the neck thing that you just did because it's one, it's ugly. And then I just came out like this and came up with this guy named Steve Smith who has a tiny little lisp, but so does Scott Grimes, so it's perfect. What women binge wherever you listen.